we're starting a brand new series called Making Peace, How to Navigate Your Most Challenging Relationships. And if you traveled or, or did some Zoom stuff for, uh, for Thanksgiving a couple weeks ago, that's kind of the kickoff of this whole season, like the holiday season, right, as we kind of head into Christmas. And during this time of year, um, th- you tend to spend time with people that mean a great deal to you, right, but you don't see all the time. Right? Or maybe they mean a great deal to you and you kind of have a lot of experience. Let's use the nice word, experience. Another word might be baggage. right? And so in those relationships, it can be difficult sometimes to keep the peace. You've heard that phrase, right? Keep the peace. right? So we wanted to, do, to take some time during this season. It might feel a little strange to, to go into this season talking about making peace peace, right? But we, we talk about the whole, uh, you know, kind of throughout the season. And, and with the arrival of the season, it's really about the arrival of Jesus, Jesus coming to earth, like Tracy was talking about, Emmanuel, God uh, with us. And if you've not been uh, uh, taking advantage of the, the Advent journey that Kid Street has put out for your kids, make sure you ask them about that, because there's still time for you to jump in, even if you're a little bit late. Um, we've been doing it with our family. I've seen lots of families throughout the church using it. And it's a great tool to walk through this season together as a family. And it's all about helping the kids and helping the families and helping us uh, even just remind us that this is all about the arrival of Jesus, that he's been the center of the story the entire time. And when we look at the Christmas story, right, when we think about making peace, where's that coming from? Like, where do we see that in the story? And in the Christmas story, the shepherds have these angels appear to them, right? Uh, And when the angel encounters them, it says this in Luke 2.14, it says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with God is pleased. Now, you've probably heard peace on earth Goodwill towards men, right? We've heard that. That's kind of a common phrase. We hear during this season. Now, let me see a show of hands. Who could use some more peace in their life? A couple of folks. I think we could all, if we're being honest, we could all be raised, especially this year. I think peace is something that's in short supply. So the idea of making peace sounds kind of good. That the whole peace on earth, goodwill towards men. How, how do we do this? How do we accomplish this? What, what's the mechanism through which we accomplish this and see this in our life? Like, yes, it is Jesus, uh, peace incarnate, if you will. Like, that's, that's there. But how do we, as followers of Christ, see peace enter into our lives? And more specifically, like we're talking about in this series, our relationships. It's a single word. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is how we experience peace in our relationships. Now, you might, again, kind of be tilting your head like the puppy dog look. Why are we talking about forgiveness at Christmas? And you're going to see over the next several weeks as we continue to talk about this, that forgiveness is actually at the center of God's story with man. It's at the center of the Christmas story, too. It's it's what Jesus came to do. And and why does forgiveness matter, right? Why does forgiveness matter? Well, forgiveness matters because, I don't know if you know this, but people will fail you. People will fail you. I know, surprise, spoiler alert, sorry. But more importantly than that, while people will fail you, you are going to fail people. You're going to fail people too. As hard as we might try, as, as hard as we might try to you know, have a good uh, relationship with someone, we're going to have failed uh, uh, expectations, I expected this to happen with and, and for you or, or for, with another person. You could have failed promises. I said I was going to do this, but I couldn't come through on it, right? I meant well when I promised, but I couldn't come through that. You could have failed commitments. 
I'm going to do this for you, or I'm going to be this for you, right? I'm going to be that safe place for you, and I failed you in that. There's some high-stakes stuff. There's also some low-stakes stuff. It's kind of peppered in and out. And through this series, we're going to see that it's not just one-size-fits-all, right? Forgiveness is a concept that covers all relationships we ever have in this life, but the way that we approach it is similar It's just going to feel different based on the size of forgiveness that we need to extend. Now, without forgiveness, there can be no peace. It's just unresolved. When someone wrongs you or when you wrong someone, if forgiveness is not extended by uh, one of the other parties, there's going to be that tension. There's going to be that unrest. Peace is not going to be part of it. I mean, consider this. Even think, some of you might just be thinking back to a couple weeks ago when you had Thanksgiving. Have you ever had a meal with someone that you couldn't forgive? Or a meal with someone that you just couldn't get over that thing they did? Or maybe it was like 10 minutes before the meal where they said that thing about what you were wearing. You know what I'm saying? You're like, how dare they? I just can't. That's not a peaceful experience. You're not going to have a nice meal together. You're not going to be able to experience peace with that person. Now, forgiveness isn't just a nice biblical concept. In fact, almost speaking to what Tracy was talking about a second ago, it's a biblical foundation. Forgiveness is a biblical foundation. We see in the Bible it talks a lot about the concept of foundation, about how if you have this kind of foundation, you'll have this experience in life. If you have this kind of foundation, you might have this experience. Nod your head if you're with me. And so if we start to build our lives on foundations that are shaky, things that don't stand up to the test of time, things that don't stand up to failure of expectations and commitments and all these things, then when that shatters, what happens? Our experience is affected. Does that make sense? However, we choose to build a foundation on things that are sure and strong and lasting. And forgiveness is like the, it's like the stuff you put in the cracks. Those cracks appear, and forgiveness is the balm, is the sealant we can put in the, there to help secure those cracks in a shaky foundation as we live our lives. Now, this, this morning's message is entitled, The Solution to the Problem. The Solution to the Problem. So, what, what's the problem? Simply put, the problem is sin. The problem is sin. We talked about this, how people are going to fail you and you're going to fail people. That's because sin is in the world. It's just our existence from the very, very beginning, from Adam and Eve going back all the way to there. That's when sin entered the world. And in fact, we all sin. Can we all say that together? We all sin. And unless, I was talking to somebody this week about this, a friend of mine, that there's this concept of like, oh, I'm a good person. I think I'm a good person, right? You probably think you're a good person. And you are, in a sense, maybe. But when it comes to the biblical sense of understanding good versus not good, we all sin. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 3.23. says this, for everyone has sinned. And this is the important part. We have all fall short of God's glorious standard. God sets the bar This is what I intend, this is what I expect to see, and we cannot meet that. Why? Because everyone has sinned. We all sin. And sin just means missing the mark. That's literally what the word means. It's like an archery term. It means here's the mark and you missed it. And we're incapable of hitting that mark for ourselves. That's just the problem. That's the innate problem with people. If we could fix it for ourselves, we wouldn't need Christmas. We wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need forgiveness for anything because we'd be doing just fine. That's the problem. Now, the solution 
is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's the solution. And we see even just in the next verse, this is in Romans 3.24, it says this. Yet God, remember, we fall short of his glorious standard. That's the statement right before this. And yet, even in that, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. It's a gift. We didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't try hard enough. I didn't do enough. I wasn't awesome enough. He freely gave it. Do you see that? He freely gave it to us. He did this through, Jesus, or through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. It goes on to say this. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This idea of being made right, that's the, the churchy phrase, righteousness. Okay? Being made right in God, being made righteous, is that when God sees us, when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus of what he's done for us, when we accept that free gift, instead of God seeing us in all of our sin, what he sees is he sees Jesus. It doesn't mean we can then go off and do what we want to do and, and be totally good because I got my Jesus card, I'm all good. It means that I'm so changed as a person because of what he's done for me that I'm going to live in such a way. Does that make sense? Now, here's the kicker. When we try and do that, what do we do? We fail, right? We try and we fail. We try and we fail. We try and we fail. Now, in the context of a relationship with no forgiveness, that is like tenuous at best, right? But in the context of a relationship where there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's peace is extended in the, con- in the midst of that forgiveness, what happens is growth. And that is the Christian life. We're not expected to live perfect lives. We can't be. And that's the point. We have to acknowledge that we sin. And in light of that fact, I've accepted the, the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm going to try and follow his ways, his path. And when I fail, I seek forgiveness. And I continue walking forward. That's the, important, that's the entire part. And, and Jesus even outlines this for his disciples when he, he introduced the concept of communion right before his death. This is in Matthew 26. He says this. So he's, talking, he's kind of introducing the concept of, of communion to his disciples. He says, And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the many sins or the sins of many. And actually, if you see in the Bible, when Jesus is interacting with the, like the holy people, uh, uh, I read this Bible for Kids app with my, my kids all the time. Not just me, but sometimes for me. Um, but we'll do these stories, and they'll have like, they call them religious leaders. And they're always like really angry looking and stuff, so that's how I see them now. So when Jesus interacts with those guys in the Bible, the thing that ticks them off the most, the thing that just pisses them off, is when, not when Jesus heals people. It's not when Jesus does like good things. It's not when Jesus hangs out with bad people. Like, they don't like that either. But it's when Jesus says, I forgive you of your sins. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't do that. But he reminds them, I am God. Like, this is, this is why I'm here. I'm here to forgive the sins of many. Jesus' arrival was an act of forgiveness. Emmanuel, God with us, was an act of forgiveness. It was an extension. It was the start of that conversation. Without Jesus coming to us, we wouldn't be able to have and experience that true forgiveness in our life. Now, forgiveness, and this is, I think, really important because sometimes 
you can, you can feel like, well, forgiveness is just like a part of what I do as a Christian. Like, I know, I know it's an important part of like what we're supposed to do. But maybe not in all situations. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, you, Chris, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. But when I read the Bible, I believe the Bible tells us this, that forgiveness is a primary spiritual discipline for all Christ followers. It's a primary spiritual uh, discipline for all Christ followers. Let's break that down for a second. It's not secondary. It's not tertiary. It's not something that gets pushed to the back. It is primary. If we're not actively seeking to forgive people when we experience wrongs, if we're not actively seeking forgiveness when we wrong people, we're not doing it right. It's a spiritual discipline. It's not a practical habit. You see that difference? It's one thing, like, I've got, I've got a three and a five-year-old, and they're just starting to kind of, my five-year-old's kind of got the whole forgiveness thing down because she gets the guilt thing, right? So that's, we got to be careful with that. But the three-year-old, she doesn't quite, like, she's not there yet. So when I tell her, like, you need to go ask, tell your sister you're sorry, like, it's very perfunctory. It's very, like, okay, dad, I'm sorry, do you forgive me? You know what I'm saying? You nod your head if you're with me. Like, it's just very mechanical. It's a thing you're doing. And that is not forgiveness. That's not an experience of forgiveness. It's not seeking forgiveness. That's an apology. That's a thing that just, it's a thing I said. Forgiveness is a spiritual discipline. There's repentance. There's feeling bad about what I did in going and seeking uh, uh, that reconciliation that comes from forgiveness, the peace that comes from forgiveness. And it's for all Christ followers. It's for each and every single one of us to seek in our daily lives. Now, you might not have it happen every single day. I'm not saying that if you're not seek, groveling to people for forgiveness every day, like you're, you're doing it wrong. What I'm saying is as you live your life, as you have relationships, as those relationships get sticky and difficult and messy, nod your head if you're with me, as they get to that state, we're choosing to either engage with or engage with someone who is seeking Forgiveness. It's a primary spiritual discipline for all Christ followers. I would go as far to say this. This is going to tick some people off, and that's okay. Here's what I would say. Is that you can be a Christian and not forgive. But you cannot follow Jesus and not forgive. What I'm saying is this. Is that in name, you can accept the, grace, the gift of grace from Jesus Christ. You can receive salvation because you've acknowledged who he is, what he's done for you, how you are in your life, and be a Christian and then not forgive people. But you can't follow Jesus and grow in your faith and become more and more like him every day without forgiving people. Do you see that? That's an important difference because, y'all, we got a bunch of Christians running around who don't feel like they have to forgive people and don't feel like they need forgiveness. And that is not what a Christ follower is. A Christ follower is someone who seeks forgiveness when they wrong people and is someone who extends forgiveness when there's a wrong in a relationship. Let's see what the Bible says about this. This is Ephesians 4, verse 32 says this. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Just as God's forgiven you through Christ, so should we forgive. It says this in Colossians 3. It says this in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
make allowance. I love this phrase because, okay, what's an allowance, right? It's a thing that your parents give you because you don't got no money, right? They're, they're making, uh, they know you don't got money, so they're giving you something so that you can have money. Does that make sense? They're giving you an allowance. So you know people are going to screw up. You know people are going to fail you. And you know you're going to fail people, but we'll get to that later. But you know people are going to fail you, so make allowance for each other's faults. And then forgive anyone who offends you. We're going to talk about that word in a couple minutes. That's really important. But I love this concept of you know it's going to happen. So why don't you live your life in such a way and prepare your mind. It's almost like if you're a parent, you know if you leave your kids downstairs for five minutes, what's going to happen? They're going to clean the house, right? I'm just kidding. No, you come downstairs and a bomb's going to go off, right? And if you have in your brain the thought that they're going to clean the house and I'm going to have a lemonade sitting there and they're going to be waiting for me with my favorite show. Like if, you, if that's your expectation, then you're setting yourself up for a pretty gnarly you know, experience. But if you prepare yourself, okay, I know when I get home that it's going to be a mess and they're going to be a wreck and they're going to be hungry and they're going to want to watch this. They're going to be hungry again. And then if you prepare yourself for that, then when you walk into that experience, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay. That's not what I'm saying. But what it does do is it prepares you to respond better to those people, a.k.a. your kids, a.k.a. your family. Does that make sense? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Let's keep going. The next verse says this. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Forgiveness is not a recommendation. Forgiveness is a requirement. Forgiveness is not a recommendation. Forgiveness is a requirement for those who choose to follow Jesus. And actually, one of his disciples asked Jesus directly about this. Peter. I love Peter. Peter's a G, man. Peter would just ask anything. He's a hothead. He's the one who brought, like, the knife to the prayer meeting, you know what I'm saying, like, in the garden. Like, he's crazy. And so he goes to, he thinks he's got it all together, and he goes to Jesus, and he says, he says this. So this is in uh, uh, Matthew. It says, and then Peter came to him and asked, you've probably heard this, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Now, what he's looking for is he's looking for like that how-to. He's looking for the YouTube video he can watch so he can go fix a thing. You know what I'm saying? That's me. Like, I need that. That's what I want. He's saying, how many times should I forgive someone who sins me? Seven times? Because that's pretty good. Right? Like, so that's it's pretty good. I'm, I'm a good person, right? And what's interesting here is Peter's making a bold, foolish ask. He's like, just put it on blast. He's like, He's taking this concept that Jesus has made pretty clear through his teaching in his life that it's supposed to cover all things, all experiences. Why? Because that's what I'm doing for you, dum-dum. Like, that's essentially what he's saying to this guy. He's not saying that nicely. But that's the concept, is that I'm extending unconditional forgiveness to you because of my love for you. And Peter goes, yeah, but how often should I forgive Paul for, like, doing this stuff to me? Like, seven times? Is that good? And Jesus says this. He's, Peter's essentially looking for rules. He's looking for rules. He wants to tell me, like, what I need to do. And then Jesus responds with this. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, you'll note a considerable absence of time here. It's not like 70 times seven times a year, a month, a week. There's no bounds on it like that because he's trying to make a point. No, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven times. That's how I hear it in my head right? 
That's the conversation that's happening here. He's not trying to give context or specifics. He's trying to help Peter understand the heart of the situation. That it's not about how many times I'm going to do this. It's no, just do it, Peter. Extend forgiveness so that you might experience peace in your life. And I think this concept of forgiveness is going to be helpful to be seen in the context of the story. How many people like stories? I like stories. I think this concept of forgiveness, and I'm going to make up a word, unforgiveness, is best seen in the context of a story that if you've grown up in the church, you might know the story. If not, you might have heard this kind of concept, a parable, uh, this story uh, somewhere in your life. It's a story of the prodigal son. And what's funny, I was telling you about that Bible for Kids app, like, which if you don't have, you got young kids, search Bible for Kids in your app store. It's phenomenal. It's got so many stories. I digress. So we were, I do that every night with my kids before we go to bed when I'm with them, you know, if, if life works out that way. And so um, the funny thing is this week, both kids have picked that story out as if like God's like trying to tell me like, hey, you need to talk about this. So we're going to talk about this this morning. So the prodigal son. So the concept here is found in Luke 15. This is verse 11. So the story starts out like this. So a man had two sons. So there's a dad and there's two sons, right? And the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Whoa, that is brutal. That is rude. Like, could you imagine your kid coming and asking you that right now? Just take a beat, think about your most bold kid, and imagine they said this to you. Like, how would you be feeling? I'd be, I, I, I don't even know if I could be mad as much as I would just be hurt, you know? But what does the dad do? The dad says, or so the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. He just, he did it. So that tells me something about that father. The father's already seeing his sons. He knows who they are. He probably kind of expected this from this son, if we're going to be honest. And so that when he, it happened, he decided to, instead of making a point, he, he wanted to provide a still relationship there. So he didn't just cut him off. He didn't just shove him off. He decided to go forward with that. And what happens uh, in, the, in the ensuing middle part of the story is the son goes off. You might know this part. Son goes off and just goes buck wild. I mean, he's going to Vegas. He's going to Monte Carlo. He's going to Brazil. Like, he's just doing it, right? And he's buying all the things. He's doing all the things. And he runs out of money because he doesn't have any money, right? He's done. He's spent it all. And so he gets a job feeding pigs. Like, that's rough. If you've ever spent any time around hogs in North Carolina, and I know some of y'all have, it is rough. Or if you, like, just go buy a hog house, like, it smells terrible. But he's feeding them. And he has the thought, what's crazy is in the scripture itself, in the story, he has the thought of, oh, I wish I could eat this pig's food. That would be so much better than what I have right now. That's the place that son ends up in. He's just like rock bottom. He decides, you know what? I need to just swallow it, go back to my dad. Because being a, being a servant in his house would be so much better than doing this. So he's hit rock bottom. I mean, he is, he's like, I just need to go grovel. And what happens is pretty incredible. So this is what happens a little further on in the story. So he, the son, so he returned to his father and while he was still a long way off, coming down the road, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know that kid didn't smell good. You know he's coming just a hot mess down the road. And all he's been thinking about for months and months and months is, where's my kid? God, I hope he's okay. Like, can you imagine that? 
Because there's no Facebook, there's no texting, there's no email, there's no phones, there's none of that. Like maybe he got a letter, I don't know. He doesn't know where he is. He's just hoping he's not dead. God, I hope my son comes home one day. And this happens. And this is his response. So it tells us a little bit about the father. The father had every single right to blow him off. To sit in his chair, wait for his son to come up to him, get on his knees and say, I'm so sorry, dad. I can't believe I did this. He had every right to expect that, right? He had every right to expect that. But instead, his response was to extend forgiveness. And what did he experience? He experienced peace in that relationship with his son. The forgiveness led to peace. The son offended him by saying, give me my money, dad. I'm going to go. And he left. He offended his dad. And what his dad chose to do when he was confronted back with that is he put his offense down. He had all the cards. He had all the power in that relationship. And for some of you, you feel like the entire purpose of your relationships is to get that power, is to have the position of influence and authority in that back and forth with the individual you're talking to. And every move you make is calculated. And everything you're trying to do is to build up that position of power. And the father had that cold, dead to rights. And his response was to extend forgiveness. That blows my mind. He put down his offense. And in doing so, he experienced peace. To put it simply, he made peace with his son. He didn't have to. By extending forgiveness. Now, there's another person in the story. Because we had two sons, right? We had Dum Dum who took all the money. And we got older brother over here. Now, what happened to him? So, this is in Luke 25. This, I feel like I see myself way too much in the older brother. I'm just going to be honest. And y'all need to be honest too. So, this is verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. He was getting stuff done. He was taking care of what needed to be done on the farm with dad for the family. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked for one of the servants what was going on. Continues on and says this. Your brother is back, the servant said, and your father, was kill- or your father had killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of a safe return. We're having a big old party because your deadbeat brother's back, essentially is what's being told to him. The older brother was angry. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? If you've got a brother or sister, could you imagine like your brother or your sister doing this, going off and like you're just grumbling to your dad all the time. I can't believe he did that, dad. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna go do my thing. I'm the good kid, right? You know what I'm saying? Like that's my identity. And then when he comes back, this happens. The brother was angry. All right. And he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he, the older brother replied, all these years, I'm gonna say it like I think he said it to him. All these years I've stayed or I've slaved for you. I and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Can somebody call the ambulance? Like, that's just all I hear with this guy. It's like, but dad, I did this, and I did this, and I've done this, and I, uh, I just wanted... That's what I'm hearing from this guy. Like, yeah, he's angry, and I get it, because he was offended. His brother did this, and he picked up that offense. Because the brother didn't really, I mean, this brother is still going to get his stuff one day. Like, he's still going to get his stuff from the dad. He'll get his inheritance. 
This son just got his share early and went off and was selfish. But that offended his dad, and that offends me. Because you did that to him, that offends me. You see that? You see the difference there between the direct offense and I picked up that offense over here? I'm offended that this happened. And dad, I never would have done that. I've done only this. And what does the dad say? I love this. Dad says this in the next verse. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money, sorry, I forgot this part, squandering your money on prostitutes and celebrating by killing, you kill the fattened calf. Okay, that's, that's rough. Okay, last verse says this. We had to celebrate this happy day. This is what the father's saying. For your brother was dead. Remember, he didn't know where he was. Your brother was dead and he's come back to life, son. Your brother was lost and now he is found. Get some perspective. Because all the older brother could see is what's, like, how does this affect me? I'm, I'm choosing to be offended because of what's happened here. And because he would not extend forgiveness, he was extending unforgiveness. It was active. He's, I'm not going to forgive him, Dad. He's extending unforgiveness. What he experienced was contempt. All he had was contempt for his brother. And then contempt for his dad. Because, Dad, all I did. You see that? Unforgiveness breeds contempt, while that forgiveness the Father extends breeds peace. He chose to pick up that offense. Essentially, the brother's asking the question, what about me? The older brother's asking, what about me? And we ask the same question. In our lives, and our relationships, our instinct, if we're going to be real honest, is what about me when someone hurts you? What about me when you see someone hurting someone else that you know? someone that matters to you. When there's difficulty in a relationship, you ask the question, what about me? That's a very normal thing. So why should we forgive? We forgive so that we can experience peace, so we can make peace. And why should we even run after peace at all? Because when we experience peace, we experience freedom. But freedom from what? We experience freedom from guilt, from shame, and ultimately from offense. We experience freedom from offense. Now, a couple weeks ago, we did a series called Actually No Offense. It's funny how this stuff kind of just tends to build on it. And during that series, we did a great job of breaking down the idea of what it means to take on offense and processing offense and what do you do when someone offends you. So we're kind of building on that concept here. And honestly, offense is the gateway to unforgiveness. It's the gateway. And the reason I use that word is because it gives you the opportunity. You don't have to walk through a gateway, right? But when an offense occurs, when the son does that to the dad, right, it creates an opportunity for unforgiveness. And offenses, what's interesting here, is that offenses can, especially like big offenses, oftentimes they can start as small things that build on each other and build on the next one, and build on the next one. If you don't clear those, if you don't process those, if you don't forgive those offenses in the normal back and forth of a relationship, they can fester and grow and infect your life. Forgiveness stops that growth. Unforgiveness fosters that growth. And each of those offenses have a weight. And like I said, not every offense is the same. You know, like some are larger, some are smaller. Some have bigger impacts on your life. Some have smaller impacts on your life. But honestly, they all have some kind of weight to them. So like if someone cuts you off in traffic, there's some, there's some weight to that. I'm like, frick, get out of my way, stupid. And I'm thinking about that. It's going to affect how I walk. And I, I'm, I can do pretty good with this. This is not bad. I can, I can still do stuff. I can still move. Oh, good. 
But what happens when something else builds on top of that? Maybe something else you decide to pick up. Because offenses, you're either going to pick them up or they're going to be put on you. When it comes to offenses, they're either picked up or they're put on you. Picking up an offense is something happens around you and you decide you're the older brother. That happened there? That offends me. That person hurt my feelings. I'm going to be mad about that. I got another offense. Now I got a couple. Sometimes offenses are put on you. Sometimes someone does something to hurt you. They betray your trust. They lied to you. It gets a little heavier. And I didn't do anything for this one. This one was just handed to me. Does that make sense? So in life, we can choose to pick stuff up, and that's my choice. I can choose to do this or lay it down or whatever. But I chose to pick these up. This has just happened to me. This, my mom left me. That man hurt me. That person did things to me that he shouldn't have done. I was a kid. But now I'm walking around with all these offenses. And if I choose to forgive, these can go away. This would be something I can process over time. Or it's something I have to live with. And watch this. What happens when you're trying to follow Jesus and you got all this hanging on you? When he asks you, hey, pick up that thing. Okay. It's a lot more awkward. Sometimes it's impossible. You can't even do the thing God's calling you to do because you're freaking weighed down with all these offenses in your life that you've picked up or that have been put on you. But the truth about offense is this. No matter what they are, no matter what you picked up, no matter what's put on you, I don't care what it is, because of the gift of grace, because of the the power of Jesus Christ in your life, you can experience peace by putting down your offenses. No matter what you do in life, no matter what you encounter, if you choose to see forgiveness and extend forgiveness and seek forgiveness, those offenses can always be laid down. And you might be thinking, I can't do that. <laughs> like, Chris, you don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. I don't. But you might be thinking that I just can't, I can't do this. And, and you're right, you can't do this. That's the truth. Going back to the piece of we understand that we all sin. We also have to understand that we can't do it all ourselves. You're right. Jesus made another pitch for forgiveness to his disciples. And he said this. This is in Luke 17. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. Continues on, he says this. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks you forgiveness, you must forgive. He's giving a clear in balanced direction. He's saying, if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. I don't care how many times someone offends you. I don't care how many times someone does something to you. If you're processing and trying to follow after me, you need to forgive them. Why? Because I forgave you first. What's incredible here is our response. So our response, again, is I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? And again, Jesus is not trying to give us a checklist because this is not a very checklisty topic in our life. You can't just check forgiveness off and move forward. It's a process. It's a living, breathing part of any relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your family. Every single important relationship, forgiveness has to exist for there to be peace 
in that relationship. But our response is, I can't do that. Now, what's, what's really interesting here is in the next verse, the disciples respond. So Jesus says very clearly, I don't care how many times someone does something to you, you need to forgive them because I first forgave you. That's the setup. What the disciples say here, what I would say here is, okay, well, again, show me the hack. What's the YouTube video. Their response here blew me away. It says this in verse 5. This is the disciples speaking. The apostles said to the Lord, okay, well then show us how to increase our faith. Isn't that interesting? It's not, okay, show me how to do the thing. Show me how to build that muscle. Show me how to, it's not show me how to do those things. Instead they said, okay, if that is what you're asking us to do, Jesus, then show us how to increase our faith. Because forgiveness requires faith. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own. And forgiveness requires faith. You will not be able to extend the kind of forgiveness that is true and honest and real without allowing the Lord to do work in your life, without first realizing that you have been forgiven and your great need to be forgiven, my great need to be forgiven. Without that perspective, we're not going to be able to forgive others because we must build our faith. And so it, it invites us this simple prayer that I think we're, we're not going to, you know, it doesn't get any crazier than this. It's just, Lord, increase my faith. I said, okay, I'm beginning to see and understand that forgiveness is not just a tangential part of my Christian faith. It's a central part of my Christian faith. In every single relationship, I have to build my ability to forgive Others. So in light of that, Lord, increase my faith. And then Jesus gives us one last little bit of encouragement in the very next verse. This passage is crazy. This is verse 6. Jesus answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Follow the logic on this. Jesus lays down the, the, the base. Forgive people. I don't care how many times this happens, you forgive people. The, the disciples respond, okay, if that's it, then increase my faith. And what does Jesus say? Oh, if you had faith like you're asking for, you would see incredible things. That's what he's saying to him. He's saying, if you had the faith that you're asking for, not only would you see this in your life, but you will see incredible things, impossible things in your life. Because if we ask, if we seek, if we pray that prayer that, Lord, increase my faith, we will see incredible things in our lives because faith requires, or sorry, forgiveness requires faith. So I'm not going to ask you to forgive anybody today. That's not where I'm ending. I'm not trying to make you think of that person you need to go and talk to today. We're going to get there. What I'm asking today is for you to change your perspective on forgiveness, that it's not just a thing that's there it's a thing we must embed into every single one of our relationships. Why? So we might experience peace. Why? So that we might be free. Free from what? From offense, from guilt, from shame, from the consequences of sin because of the work Jesus has done in and through you and me. Lord, increase my faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the times that as we look in the scripture and even read things that we've read time and time before that you show things to us in a brand new way. 
And God, just a simple interchange between you and those who seek to follow you gives me such hope. Because God, I don't have it all together. We all don't have it all together. We fall short of your standard. But God, your, your heart is not to leave us there. Your heart is to, through your Holy Spirit, to help us become more and more like you every single day. God, would you increase our faith so that we might see incredible things in our lives, so that we might extend forgiveness to those who we considered to be unforgivable. God, that you would give us the faith to drop the offenses. God, the things that are, are, are nasty and hard and messy in our lives. God, it may not be a single instance, it may be a process over time, but Lord, would you increase our faith so that we would see freedom from these things, these weights that hold us down. God, increase our faith so that we might see you move in our lives in a way we would never have expected before. God, over the next few weeks, I I pray that you would change hearts, that you would change minds, that you would make us more like you so that we can extend forgiveness as freely and as joyfully as you do, God. So we might experience the true peace that comes from an understanding of who you are and the gift of grace you extend to us. God, we love you and we are grateful for your word. We pray all these things in your name.